in the first half, we reviewed the message of First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 to 13, that's concerned with the death of some Israelites in the desert. And we said that that message is that the enjoyment of uh, God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him. And so we began to look at, review the first evil, or the evil thing that the Israelites desired, or were guilty of, that led to their death. And that, that we also warn against, is idolatry. Because of the command of verse 7, said, do not become idolaters. So, we briefly examined the subject of idolatry and identified is modern forms as we did last week but we did not apply those commands to what we have so that we began this morning to apply it so in applying it we should recognize that we are dealing with those who are devoted to things of this life more than God. So we ask the question, how is that? How can he be devoted to God more than the things of this life? And we say it begins with recognizing that we should not be devoted to things of this life because we love God. So really that's why it is you begin to understand that you love God or that you should love God because that's how we show our devotion because we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all our entire person and that's why I cited Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 so we indicated it should be something important to all of us to ensure that we devote our entire being to God and everything devoted to His service or related to His service. So that was the first way to understand His law, that we are supposed to love Him. The second way to ensure that we are not more loyal to anything other than God is to have a mindset that says that nothing is more important or that nothing can be compared to the knowledge of God. That mindset, nothing can compare to the knowledge of God. And so we develop that. Then we ask, ask again, how, how should you show that you are more devoted to, the, uh, to God more than anything material. Again, we say that begins with devotion to the study of the Word of God. This, of course, we say requires being aligned uh, to a pastor who uh, is devoted to the teaching of the Word of God. And so that you should uh, show your devotion to God and to his word, really, by 
examining the time you spend in the study of the word of God compared to other things. And we emphasize what we're talking about is not coming to church as we do when it is in Sunday. It's not that. We're talking about something private. The time you spend, in other words, take the time you're at work, take it out. Whatever the time is. The other time, that's what we're talking about. And look at what, what you spend your energy in. Compare it to what you do, how much you spend in the Word of God. And see which compares. If it doesn't compare well, that means you're not devoted. You can come here and see it every Wednesday and Sunday. It doesn't mean that you are. So that's the taste that we put in the first session. That you need to actually compare your time. Sit down. Don't be a mindless mom, as they say. Walking about life without thinking. Sit down and analyze yourself. And see what's going on. Where's my time? What am I spending it in? It's easy to run up here and there. And so, you become involved in idolatry and don't realize you are. Anyway, another way we said that we obey the command, do not be idolaters, is by avoidance of greed. And to help us deal with that, we said there are uh, two facts that you should remember to help you. The first fact is that material things are not transferable. In other words, no matter what you have on this planet, you don't transfer it to the next world or to heaven. The only thing that we say you come naked, you live naked, but the only thing that will go with you, now that you came in as an unbeliever, you're living as a believer, this, the truth, the facts of truth about God stored in your soul, that's the only thing that's going to go with you. Every other thing you live on this planet. And so, We've uh, also emphasized that still another way to obey the command, do not be idolaters, is by avoiding materialism. And we've indicated that we're not concerned with classical materialism that states that matter is ultimate reality from which all these things come like denying God and bodily resurrection and so forth. That's not our concern. Our concern is where the believer is more devoted to material things than God. That's the kind of materialism that we're looking at. Where things of this life are more important to you that you ignore your spiritual life. So we began to look at the pitfalls of materialism. And the, we went through we said, for example, that things on this planet are not permanent, they are transitory. In the way that you hear today, it's gone tomorrow. So that it will be foolhardy for a person to be so occupied with that. The second thing we also find as a pitfall is that if you pursue material things, you will never find satisfaction. And that's what we began to look at from the fact that the uh, richest man of the ancient world who had everything 
most people today dream about. He had it all. Whatever he wanted to talk, power, he had it. Money, women, oh yeah, he had it. Everything. So, God picked him to tell us that wealth, if you are somebody in love with wealth, you never get satisfaction from it. And so we began also to look at the fact that God ensures if you're a believer that if you ignore him and pursue material things, you will never find satisfaction. That's guaranteed. And we're going to develop that. And it's in the process of developing that that we in this cause that another pitfall of materialism is to cause a person to be truly distracted from God. And it is that distraction that is stated in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 13 and 14 which is where we stopped before break. And that's where we begin. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 13 reads And when your hearts and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. My fellow believers, that's the greatest problem we face in this country. That's one of the greatest problems. Because this country is, you know, people are so blessed. I know there are people struggling. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about that. But the, when you put all things in perspective, because if you've never left Mississippi or even the United States and go to other parts of the world, you don't know how, how, what, what it means to suffer about certain things. Now, our problem is that material things, the excess of it has caused us to forget the Lord. That's always the, you know, that's, that's always the trap of prosperity. If you are prosperous, you have the tendency, the temptation is to ignore God and pursue whatever you think is pleasure. Anyway, now it is because of the danger of materialism that the Lord Jesus also issued the warning he gave to his disciples, recorded for us in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Luke Chapter 12, verse 15. It reads, Then he said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So this passage links materialism to greed. So the clause, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession, in the Greek text, is very difficult to translate. As evident in the several ways our English versions rendered it. Now, an alternative translation suggested in the standard Greek uh, English lexicon by... Bawadaka at Angingrik, 
This is what they say, we could translate it this way. He does not live because of his possession. He does not live because of his possession. In any event though, it seems that the sense here is that a person should not be greedy because his life is independent of the abundance of material things. In effect, abundance of material things does not guarantee that a person will continue to live, nor does it guarantee that a person will enjoy good quality of life in this planet. Now you can have little material possessions and still have an enjoyable life. Because your true life is entirely separate and independent of your possessions. That's why there are a lot of people who have very little of this world. But as happy as they can come. Because of their relationship with the Lord. Anyway, it is this independence of life and material possessions that caused Satan to make the proposal to God that in effect says God should allow him to go after the life of Job because man will give all his possession to spare his life. As we read in Job chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Job chapter 2 Verses 4 and 5. It reads, Job chapter 2, verse 4 reads, Skin for skin, Satan replied, A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, so, it is what this is. is. If a person gets sick, let's say a millionaire, he's, he's willing to spend all his millions if that will keep his, him alive. He don't always work, it doesn't work that way. But once our life is threatened, we are willing to do anything to spare it. That's what he's really saying. Anyway, this truth though is quite evident then today. For, as I've said, if a man's life is strengthened, he will be willing to part with his worldly possessions or wealth if that will mean that he will keep living. Of course, we insist that you can enjoy your life with little Material possessions. Now this truth is stated in various forms in the scripture. The writer of Proverbs states it in the terms of absence of turmoil. In Proverbs chapter 15 verse 16. See, when people are very shallow. They don't have much spiritual content. They are so impressed with what they see on the outside. 
And you know that a whole lot of people are faking it in this life. And you say, you know, couples, you see them, oh yeah, they appear on the, you know, on the, probably looking at them, hold hands and all that, yeah. But you don't know, they're faking it. Because they live in a house where all that goes on is blim, 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 blim. That's all, that's all you hear. Fighting with each other. That's why Proverbs 15 verse 16 has this to say. Peter, a little with the fear of the Lord, than great wealth with turmoil. Now you see all those Things that uh, you know, people, Hollywood or other places, and they, they have all these things people are dreaming about. But you just don't know how they are living in their houses. Whatever they do in movie, that, that doesn't reflect reality. It's <laughs> more or less sometimes, I believe, it's what they wish could happen, but it doesn't happen. And so, that's why you say, you can have all this great wealth. There's a lot of turmoil. That's why most of them drink themselves to date. Have to snuff something, whatever it is. Because they don't have this inner peace. They're looking for something to help them out. And that's why they're that way. They say, better have a little with great peace. And they write of Ecclesiastes, express it in form of tranquility. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. This is the way he puts it, similar to Proverbs. He said, Beta. One handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now society today tends to define a person based on the individual's material possession. But what our Lord taught is just the opposite. Wealth is really of no help when it comes to true living or life. You cannot, for example, prolong your life because of your material possession. Your life really does not belong to you. So, it is human madness or ignorance or both. That leads to greed or materialism. Now since material things add nothing to a person's life, wants death or cause, then it does not make sense to devote oneself to material things and God. It pays to have the proper perspective regarding material things as God's creation. In fact, it is God who gives a person wealth, as David conveyed 
in his praise of God as recorded in First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 12. First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 12 First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 12 reads Wealth and honor come from you that's God you are the ruler of all things in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, so since God is one that grants wealth, then it will be wrong to worship things created instead of the Creator. It is this sort of thing that the Holy Spirit condemned about those who reject the truth, as we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It is, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is forever. Praised, Amen. So a believer who understands the negative facts we have presented should be motivated to avoid idolatry in form of materialism. Hence a believer who avoids materialism obeys the command of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7 Do not be idolaters. And again, I repeat what I said in the, in the first half. This whole idea is this. That my concern, that should be a concern. As I said in the first half. There's not an adult that cannot look back at his or her life and say, I wish I didn't do that at that age. But you can reverse it. It's done with. So what we're saying is, we are trying to get you where you won't be in that state, in a spiritual state. Whereby once you breathe, your last breath as you say, open your eyes in eternity, you just say, nothing to show for it. You just, you're there. And you look at other believers who, are high, who will be highly decorated because no one will be highly decorated until the second judgment seat of Christ. You can see that. Do you want to go in there? And be what you are today? I don't think so. Or I, I think you shouldn't. The world we should be striving to be highly decorated in heaven. But this is the only time that we can do something about it. So, like I said in the first half, you can hear all I teach, ignore it, and just push me off. That's fine. But you're doing it at your own risk. Because this is the only time that you can get this word, apply it, so that when you close your eyes and open it in eternity, 
you'll be assured of great blessings in terms of reward. So it is important though for us not to be idolaters. It's also important for us to assert that although modern idolatry is prevalent, but not all believers are involved in it. Now this is in keeping with what the Holy Spirit states through Apostle Paul regarding the Israelites of the Exodus generation in the next clause of where we're studying in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7. Look at the next clause. It says, as some of them were. Now it is not the intent of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle to tell us the number of the Israelites that were involved in idolatry and so could have been described as idolaters. No, really, the Holy Spirit intended for us to recognize that not every Israelite was involved in idolatry. You see, the word some here is translated from a Greek pronoun that refers to someone or something indefinite. Now, when it is used as an adjective, it may mean certain or any or some. Now, it is in the sense of certain that the apostle Paul used it to describe undetermined or uh, uh, unidentified number of men that were involved in false teaching the apostle uh, wanted Timothy to deal with while he was in Ephesus as recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. First Timothy chapter one verse three. Here a Greek word is translated with the word certain, the same word translated uh, some here. He says, As I urged you when I, I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Certain there, same Greek word, translated some. Now the Greek word, when it functions as a noun, it may mean someone, anyone, somebody. But when it is used with a word in the uh, genitive, it often means some. As it is used in charging certain individuals in current of being arrogant, in First Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. First Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. It is some of you have become arrogant. That's that some comes from the same Greek word teeth. Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7, the pronoun, the Greek pronoun functions as a noun, especially since it is related to a genitive of a Greek personal pronoun, translated them. In here in 1 Corinthians 10 7. And so, the Greek word simply means some. The point is that an un identified number of Israelites 
of the Exodus generation was involved in idolatry and those involved were described as idolaters. The apostle, after making this assertion, did what most of us, or many of us, do not do, which is to support our position or statement from the scripture when arguing with someone about a position we believe to be true. The only authority we have for asserting the validity of our position is the scripture. Consequently, Apostle Paul supported his statement about some of the Israelites being idolaters by quoting from the scripture as conveyed where we're studying in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, we say, as it is written. As it is written. Now this clause is one that is associated in the New Testament scripture with referencing Old Testament scripture, either in a general sense or in a specific sense. Now the clause though, is used in a general sense in Jesus' quotation or description of his date on the cross without really referencing any specific scripture in the Old Testament as he said or he used that in Matthew 26 verse 24. Matthew 26 Verse 24. And hold on to Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 24 reads The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man, it will be better for him if he had not been born. Now, there was really here no specific passage that the Lord Jesus cited, but a general reference to the Old Testament scripture. Now, apart from this general reference to the scripture, the clause, as it is written, or is equivalent, which is, for it is written. That is a formula for quotation from the Old Testament scripture. The Lord Jesus used it to cite scripture to Satan during his temptation, as we read in that Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 reads, Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here our Lord was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. That's where he was quoting from. And that passage reads what God did to Israel. Say so he humbled you Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with the manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. 
to teach you that a man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, interestingly, Satan uses the same formula in his quotation of the scripture to the Lord. In his temptation of Christ, as recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Luke Luke chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 It is For it is written He will command his angels concerning you To guide you carefully They will lift you up In their hands So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now here you see Satan can put the Bible. That's why we have to that's why we study to be sure we know what the Bible says in its context. Because if you wreck it out of its context, you make it say whatever you want it to say. And that's what Satan did here. But you see what he was quoting from? Psalm ninety one, verses eleven and twelve. Psalms 91 verses 11 and 12. Psalm 91 verse 11 reads, For he will command his angels concerning you to guide you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Of course, the Lord corrected him by telling me, but the scripture says, hey, Don't put the Lord to the test <laughs> anyway. So, the Jews who contended, uh, they contended with Jesus Christ, they also use that formula. It is written in their quotation of the Old Testament scripture, as we read in John. Chapter 6, verse 31. John, chapter 6, verse 31. John, chapter 6, verse 31 reads, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now the Jews, of course, did not exactly quote any particular passage of the Old Testament scripture. They didn't do it carefully. But, they, they in a sense referenced the account given in Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. Exodus chapter 16 verse 4. Exodus chapter 16 verse 4 reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are, are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. 
In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. So that's where they referring to. Now Apostle Peter of course in addressing the disciples regarding the replacement of Judas Iscariot supported that move by citing Psalms using the same formula that we are considering as we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 20. Acts chapter 1 verse 20. And then you put on, you can put your marker on, the, uh, on that Acts 1 20 because I'll refer to passages and come right back to it too. Acts 1 verse 20 reads, For said Peter, it is written, that's a formula, in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Now the apostle here pieced together two different psalms. The first quotation when he said, May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. That is drawn from Psalms 69 verse 25. Psalms 69 verse 25. That's where that comes from. Psalms 69 verse 25 reads, May their place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in their tents. I say in this verse of Psalm 69, the psalmist desired for complete destruction of his enemies and their families so that there will be no inhabitant left to occupy their cities and homes so rendering them empty. However, the apostle applied what, is, what was aimed at all the enemies of the psalmist to one person, Judas Iscariot, viewed probably as enemy of Christ because he betrayed him. Anyway, the second quotation of Acts 1.20 when he said, May another take his place of leadership. That is from Psalm 109 verse 8. Psalms, Psalm 108, I mean 109, verse 8. Okay, Psalm 109, verse 8 reads, May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. So again, the psalm is concerned with the psalmist's desire here or prayer. For the death of his enemy, so that another person will take up the position the enemy occupies. Now, one thing we learn from uh, the quotation in Acts 1.20 is that although the apostle pieced together two different passages in Psalms, but the two passages 
have something in common. They have something in common, which is the desire or the petition for the death of an enemy. That's what they have both of us uh, passages have in common. So Peter's approach lets us know that we could piece together various passages of the scripture that are domain to our position in support of our arguments. Now the human author of Hebrews use the same formula of quoting the scripture from the Old Testament as we are looking at in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 7. Hebrews time verse 7 he goes then I said here I am it is written about me in the scroll I have come to do your will O God now the quotation here is from Psalms Chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. Psalms, and hold on here, actually, your Hebrew passage too, because I'll be making references to it. Psalms 40, verse 7 reads. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. See, comparison of the quotation in Hebrews 10 verse 7 to the original passage reveals that there is a change in the order of the sentences. In the original quotation, the sentence, I have come, comes before the sentence, it is written about me in the scroll. But, in the quotation, the reverse was the case. Furthermore, the quotation left out the uh, sentence, I desire, in the original, and assimilated the rest of the verbal phrase, to do your will, home." My God to the sentence, I have come. Leading then to the reading, I have come to do your will, O God. So the implication is this. That the Old Testament scripture may be used in argument, not necessarily citing every word in the text. In short, that we may summarize a passage in the Old Testament in support of an argument. Now that aside then, Apostle Paul quoted Old Testament scripture to support his assertion of some of the Israelites being involved in idolatry and so we are idolaters. The quotation of the Apostle Paul in support of his uh, statement from the Old Testament scripture 
that some of the Israelites were idolaters is given in the last clause, I mean the last sentence of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 7 that we're studying. That last sentence reads, The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Now the incident the apostle had in view here in this quotation was the event that occurred after Israel had requested and had Aaron make for them the golden calf as summarized in Exodus chapter 32 verses 3 and 4. Exodus, and hold on to that chapter because I'll pick a lot of some other verses from there. Exodus chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. It is so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron then announced to the people that there will be a celebration to the Lord in front of the calf that he built, as we read still in that Exodus 32, look at the next verse, verse 5. Verse 5 reads, When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Now the devil then assembled and celebrated as Aaron announced regarding holding the, a festival to the Lord. The celebration is given in the next verse, that's verse, verse 6 of Exodus chapter 32. It reads, So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed bond offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now the last clause of verse 6 here. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Is what the apostle quoted. That's what the apostle quoted. Now literally the Hebrew of course reads. And the people sat to eat and drink. And they rose up to revel. Now the expression indulge in reverie in, of the NIV is translated from a, a Hebrew word with the basic meaning of to laugh, to laugh. However, in Exodus 32 verse 6, the sense of the word is to revel, that is to celebrate noisily or engage in riotous uh, festivities often involving or indulging in drinking and sexual activity, including orgies. 
The Apostle Paul certainly quoted from the Septuagint, where the expression indulge in a pagan reverie of First Corinthians 10 verse 7 is translated from a Greek word that appears only once in the Greek New Testament. But the word peazo appears severally in the Septuagint where it is used with the meaning to dance. In a religious, uh, of course, sense, as it is used in the celebration of the Israelite women under the leadership of Miriam after God delivered them from the Egyptians as we read in Exodus 15 verse 20. Exodus chapter 15 verse 20. Exodus 15 verse 20 reads, Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Dancing there, that's in the Septuagint, the uh, Greek word peazo is used. Now, the religious sense of dancing associated with the word was applied to pagan worship in the ancient times as in the dancing of the prophets of Baal during their showdown with prophet Elijah, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. First Kings First Kings chapter 18 verse 26 It is So they took the bull given them and prepared it Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon O Baal Answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Again, here the word dance is the same Greek word we're looking at. Now, another meaning of the Greek word as it is used in the Septuagint is simply to jest or to mock. As it is used to describe Ishmael's mocking or his action towards Isaac. In Genesis 21, verses 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 21, verses 9 through 10. It is Becerra, so that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, was mocking. Yeah. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Here, mocking is the same Greek word in the Septuagint. Nonetheless, though, 
In the New Testament, the Greek word where, uh, we've looked at means to engage in some activity for the sake of amusement and or recreation. Hence, really it means to play or to amuse oneself. To play or to amuse oneself. Now in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, 7, it has a sense of religious dancing and licentiousness associated with idolatry. So be that as it may then, although we cannot be certain, but it seems some of the Israelites who celebrated before the golden calf probably were involved in some form of sexual activity that was prohibited by the Lord. Their celebration that involves drinking and eating was typical of pagans before their gods. So the celebration of the Israelites involved the same kind of activities the pagans did before their gods. So the people's involvement in idolatry then meant that they have been defeated spiritually. It's no wonder Moses tells us that their celeb- such celebration was a sign of spiritual defeat and not that of victory as we read in Exodus chapter 32 verses 17 and 18. Exodus chapter 32 verses 17 and 18. It is when Joshua had the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not a sound of victory. It's not a sound of defeat. It is a sound of singing that I hear. And so although many Israelites were defeated by idolatry, that was really not true of all of them. Now certainly, some from the tribe of Levi were not involved in such a gathering or celebration as we may gather from their being on Moses' side in killing some of those who were involved in this uh, fiasco called celebration before the golden calf. This we know that they were against it because of, look at that Exodus 32, look at verses 26 through 29. He reads, So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Israelites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and fought through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that 
day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Now, by the way, the father we were about, that there were about 3,000 Israelites that were killed, did not mean that that was the number of people involved in idolatry. So if, if that was the case, Moses would not have used the word some in 1 Corinthians 10, 7 we're studying. He wouldn't have said some in his declaration then of Israel's idolatry. But the number in the passage here could not be used in that way of saying that's the total number. So the point is, he just saying some, not all. Some. So the apostle referencing eating and drinking involving Israel's idolatry is really to caution believers that although we may not be involved in explicit idolatry that characterize pagans in their worship of their gods that we be careful that we are not drawn into it and become involved in idolatry. In other words, while we may not explicitly become involved in idolatry, we may follow the world and their various celebrations that are end at worshipping pagan gods, as many do today, in various celebrations of the so-called Christmas and Easter festivities, without recognizing they are being idolaters because of such celebrations. So anyway, it is because of the Israelites were involved in idolatry that Apostle Paul stated that some of the Israelites of Exodus generation were involved in idolatry and therefore were called idolaters. Now this being the case, we are warned to ensure we avoid idolatry. Now it's something that God does not tolerate, as we've already considered. To, to this end then, we should pay heed to the instruction of First John chapter 5, verse 21. First John chapter 5 verse 21. First John chapter 5 verse 21. It says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Fellow believers, do not be idolaters. And so, the instruction is you and I should keep ourselves from idols. And we have examined in detail what all that means. So what's now left? Go home and apply them. Let's pray. As we end our study this morning, there may be someone here or someone listening over the internet. You are a religious person 
You go to church or you may even have been baptized in the water. But really, you're still not a believer. Because you're not regenerated. Which means if you die now, you go to hell. But the good news is this. The fact that you're hearing this means that God has a plan for you. God's plan is for eternal salvation of some. And he did that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, who, although God, left the glories of heaven to come to this planet, lowered himself because he wants to elevate you to sonship. He wants to elevate you so you can be adopted into the family of God. He did all that because of his great love for you. He created hell. He knows what an awful eternal suffering associated with it. So he came in humility, humbled, so he can come and die for your sins and my sins. So as a God man, he preached, he taught, he did everything to demonstrate that he is God. So you can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He did that. So there will be no question who he is. Of course, so he also said, I'm the resur- resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me, if, if he dies, he will still live. That is living eternally. So, what do you do? Since he came, paid for your sins. Look at his sufferings. They tortured him. He didn't say what? They didn't cry. With all the cruelty displayed towards him. He endured all that because he was thinking about you. That you don't go to hell. So, even all the sufferings that was so painful, he didn't say a word until the last three hours on the cross when my sins and your sins were being judged on the Son of God. It was so unbearable that he later that cry, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Shemakatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you may be brought in. He was forsaken that you may have life. He was forsaken that you may spend eternity with God forever. How? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What are you going to believe? Again, the Bible says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Believing in Him, you have life through His name. What you are believing is God came in flesh and died, rose again after three days. So if you believe that, and it's for you, no matter how awful your failure has been, no matter how sinful you have been, you will get full pardon, full forgiveness, full cleansing, so that you will not spend eternity in the lake of fire. So trust him and escape God's wrath. On the other hand, if you say, well, I don't want to, well, my friend, you are caught in with an eternal suffering of the type you can't even dream right now. Nonetheless, the offer 
the Lord gave you is to escape his coming wrath by accepting what he did for you. So, Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will continue to cause us to recognize that it does not pay to be involved in idolatry in any form or shape so that we can truthfully honor, glorify you, and be devoted to you more than anything else on this planet. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen.